himself into a creation that would be like him, that would choose and love him, and that would be for his glory. And we, we were designed to praise him. Part 8 in this message this morning is called The Mouths of Babes. And I get it out of um, Psalm 8, verse 2. I we'll know all of you in one form or another have heard this, but Psalm 8 and 2 says, and, and before I read it, let me just say that what David writes here that the Holy Spirit gives him to write is God's strategy for defeating Satan, the accuser of God and the accuser of mankind. So this, this is God's strategy in a simple one-sentence statement, and it goes like this. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So there you have it. God's strategy to still or to bring to an end, to cause to cease the devil, the enemy, to bring him to an end, God's strategy is something called strength that comes out of the mouth of babes. Now, hundreds of years later, Jesus enters the temple and the children are shouting, Hosanna to the king who comes, uh, the, the son of David. And the religious leaders were having a fit. They were offended because the children were obviously directing praise and worship that belongs to God, to Jesus, as they were pronouncing that. So in Matthew chapter 21, that little incident is recorded here when it says in verse 15 and 16, but when the chief priests and the experts in the law saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and heard the children crying out in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. And have you never read? And now he goes back to Psalm 8 and he quotes God's strategy for defeating the devil. Have you never read out of the mouths of children and nursing infants? You have, and instead of saying established or ordained strength, Jesus says, you have prepared praise for yourself. Jesus changes or interprets the word strength and brings out for us God's true intention. God is saying, the strength with which I am going to defeat the devil can be found in the mouths of children when they praise God. God says, that's the strategy I'm going to use against Satan. Children praising God. Praise the Lord. I mean, in the eyes and the minds of adults, that's a pretty unsophisticated strategy. One that we probably wouldn't take very seriously, but the maker of heaven and earth says, that's, my, that's how I'm rolling. That's my, that's my strategy. And uh, so Jesus says, out of the mouths of children, you have prepared or ordained praise for yourself. Now, when, when children praise God, it's very different from when we as adults praise God. When children praise God, their minds are filled with wonder and their hearts filled with faith. 
and they're wide open. And when they praise God, they literally expect to engage with God. And that's what's essentially different between when children praise God and when we praise God. It's those wonderful, uncorrupted minds are filled with expectation. Wow, I'm going to talk with God and He's going to talk with me. And because they have that childlike faith, when they praise Him and that expectation, He indeed fellowships with them. I mean, He communes, He connects with them. They expect, and we know what the Bible says about true faith and expectation. When you have that genuine, unfettered, and uh, unpolluted faith and expectation, God meets it. And so that's why God says, when you praise me, be like the mouths of children. Be like children. Um, so because of that, he blesses them with his presence. I believe when children praise God, they have a wonderful, marvelous experience with the presence of God. Unfortunately, we as adults have spent years being conditioned by the world. I think that sometimes we don't really consider how much the disappointments of life have hammered our souls down into a state of unbelief. But we live in a state of doubt. We live in a state, we call it maturity. We call it growing up. Oh, stop being such a child, grow up and smell the coffee. And all of those things are expressions that help describe the unfortunate effect upon us. Because in a sin-ridden, dangerous, toxic world, it's wise to realize that every party comes to an end. Nothing good ever lasts. It's, it's wise to know that uh, no good deed goes unpunished. And all those horrible sayings that are true in this world are at the very same time inhibiting and binding to us when we have to now get out from under all of that and believe that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. When we have to believe that God truly loves us, not like our earthly loves, but His is a perfect love. So we are so conditioned by the world, we're inhibited with doubts and distractions even when we start to praise God. When we praise God, unlike children, we're usually not in believe and receive mode. We're just praising God because it's sincerely we believe He's worthy. But we're not usually in a state of expectation. How often when you praise God for the glory and the wonderful things that He's done, are you at the very moment that you're saying those things expecting it to happen in your life? You're not. And you and I, if we were honest, we'd realize, no, I'm not. I just believe it's true out there somewhere. Or I believe it was true somewhere in the pages of the Bible. You know, it's exactly like uh, Martha at the tomb of her brother Lazarus when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? And she said, well, I believe that he'll rise again one day. We're always kicking the can down the road. In other words, those things are true somewhere, sometime, but not here, not now. Not me, maybe someone else. And that's how you and I praise God. And that's what God has to get from us when we come to praise Him. But what God's calling for, and what I'm going to be preaching about this morning, and hopefully it's going to open some doors for you and encourage you, is for us to seek to rise above that, to break those fetters, and to become childlike in our praise. 
because then will we not only truly praise God and fulfill our purpose, but at the same time, God through us defeats and shuts down the operation of the enemy. As I said, adults rarely praise with an expectation of receiving what we're praising God for. But children, they, they just open up their hearts and they praise and drink in His blessings. Now the phrase says, because of your foes, to steal the enemy. God has ordained praise in the mouth of children. Because the praise of children comes from a pure faith, it stills or it shuts down the operation of the devil. They don't have to be brilliant. They don't have, it, and I think that God specifically says unweaned babes so that we know this is not an intellect thing. An unweaned babe doesn't know a whole lot. So he's in effect saying that it really is a matter of the heart. And that is what will bring to an end the enemy's ability to advance on your life and touch you and bring harm to you and inhibit and, and bind you. And true praise in the mouth of children is impervious to the devil. He cannot penetrate it. And that's why the Lord says, when you praise me, come as children and praise me as children. In fact, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 33 and 1, and, and it's also written elsewhere, I think, in Psalm 145 or 148. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise is, and they use this um, old English word in the King James Bible, comely, C-O-M-E-L-Y, comely. And, and sometimes we use that word for, uh, we don't use it anymore, but it, it meant to be beautiful and but specifically in its, in its raw definition, comely means to be at home with, to be relaxed and to be at home with. Now, you know how you are in your home. You know, you just let go and you just are yourself. You're relaxed. You're just completely, uh, um, you're not on guard. You're comfortable and you're open. And the Bible says praise is to be at home with God. Praise is comely. So when we praise God like children, we are making a home for God's presence to come and meet with us and to be with us. God desires to be with us. He has created us to be with Him. And so God calls us to praise Him because praise creates an impervious environment. When you have abandoned yourself with childlike praise, and you are praising God, the enemy cannot break through. The Father's there. The anointing is present. And, and you are in a place of safety, in a place of home, and the enemy cannot deal with that. Praise the Lord. The other thing I want to say to you about praise this morning is that praise ascends into worship. Praise ascends into worship. Praise begins the process of worship. If praise shuts the enemy out, if praise brings us back to childlike expectation and brings us back to a state of innocence, then praise is where worship begins. We don't worship without going through praise first. Fifteen of the 150 psalms in the book of Psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 are called the songs of ascent, ascending up. 
And these were songs, David wrote all of them except one that Solomon wrote. The songs of ascent were written by David for the people of Israel to sing as they were walking the road up Zion's mountain to get up to the tabernacle of David and praise him. Now you remember a few weeks ago I preached about the tabernacle of David, what the tabernacle of David was and how different and how free it was. David wrote these songs and gave them to the musicians and the singers to teach all the people of Israel. So if you and your family were taking that road, I, when I was with my family in Tucson last week, we went up to Mount Lemon. We went up about 8,000 feet, and so we're going up these winding roads. took a little bit of time to get up there. And so imagine them with their horse carts, perhaps, with their children in it, or a donkey, or the husband and wife walking along that road. It takes time. Now, they know that up at the top of the mountain is that wonderful Ark of the Covenant and open tabernacle where there's going to be celebrating and worshiping God. They don't just cruise in like you pull into Burger King and, you know, in two seconds I'll take a double cheese with bacon, <laughs> hold the pickle and onion, and mayonnaise, thank you, you know what I get. So you then pull up to the next window and before, you know, before you've even, you know, breathed three breaths, you've got that thing out of the paper and you're eating it. Boy, I'm thinking about it right now, actually. So, uh, how wonderful that is. But, but being in the place of worship with God is not like that. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. But there, what I'm trying to say is there's a process. And so, the tabernacle of David's up on Mount Zion, and it took a while to get up there. So, the whole while they're journeying up that road, they've got 15 psalms that David wrote. And they're singing. Everyone is singing. Imagine that road, that highway, that, that path going up Mount Zion is clogged with thousands of people, pilgrims, making their way up. And they're all singing. You can see families with their arms around each other. Everyone's singing. And they're singing for hours. And all of those songs of ascent were filled with cheer and filled with hope. All of them were very positive. Most of them had very repetitive phrases that would show up and occur throughout the song. His mercy endures forever. Da 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 da. His mercy endures forever. Did you see what he did to the Egyptians? His mercy endures forever. And how he did this, his mercy endures forever. So those were the songs of ascent. I bring this up because I want you to realize that um, coming into worship requires praise. They are leaving behind on the low level of daily life all the activities of their routines. And they are slowly winding upwards up to the place of worship. So you can see there's a process of coming into the presence of God. By the time they get there, their minds are completely separated from the daily grind and all the disappointments and all the bills that are waiting for them and all the things and all the needs. And because of the songs they're singing, they are totally focused on God is wonderful. God is awesome. He loves us. He's faithful. And so they're ready to go into the presence of God. I remember when the Cunes were members of our church for years before they moved up to Virginia. And they would often testify, and it was true, that when they'd make the ride from Newport Ritchie in their minivan down to services here at Faith Christian Church, 
they'd put praise and worship music in and sing all the way to church. So they'd come through the church already lit up. They'd come through the doors all praised up, all ready to go. You know, so we didn't need to use the praise and worship to wake people up and, oh, oh, this is where I am. Oh, this is what I'm... Yeah, you understand what I'm talking about. So let me just use that whole illustration of ascent and ascending up to say that there is a great, huge difference between accessibility and accessing. God is accessible, but just the fact that he's accessible does not bring you into his presence. God is accessible to those who are accessing him. Does that make sense to anybody? It's the difference between Jesus being the way and us walking the walk. Jesus is the way, but just because Jesus is the way doesn't mean you're automatically blessed with all the benefits of the way. The way is called the way because it's a way you've got to walk. And, and, and so you and I have got to walk the way. The Bible says God is holy, therefore we must be holy. So the ascent is holy. The worship is holy, therefore the ascending must be holy. If there's a way, there must be a walk. If there's, access, if there's access, then there must be accessing. Does that make sense to anybody this morning? So since God's presence is holy, our ascending into his presence must also be holy. So our praise, what does it mean for our praise to be holy? Well, it means that our, back to children, our praise must be integrated, mind, heart, attitude, body, all in alignment, focused on the truth about God and in expectation of receiving. That is when praise is holy. Out of the mouths of infants, God has ordained and established that praise. So God is saying that Jesus must be the true center of our praise and worship simply for the value of who he is. Praise must be centered on God simply for his own worth and worthiness, not for what we can get out of him. We know that when we praise him, we know that when we love him, he takes care of us and blesses us. But we're not coming to him, though we may be coming wanting to receive things. When we praise him, we ought to praise him not to get things, but because he has already given us everything. I'm praising the giver, so why do I have to go to him with ulterior motives Now, does that mean we shouldn't ask? When you're in the presence of God, when you're laying up in his lap, you've praised, you're in the presence of God, and the Father says, is there anything I can do for you? No, it's all good. Well, wait, maybe there is one thing. You know what I'm saying? You're lost in his presence and in his love, and you can just say, yeah, you know, I've got this, this itch on my left side or whatever. So... You know, that's, that's when you can, act, but there's a difference when our praise is like adults rather than like children. We're praising him with ulterior motives. We're praising him because we're really stuck in the world. We never really leave the world, and the concerns of the world have filled our mind, and so our prayer is constantly driven by the world and what's going on in the world. Oh, would you make my husband get off my back? 
Oh, would you, you know, make my boss, oh, would you deal with this uh, thing in my foot? Um, there's a difference. And I, I, I could stay up here and pound this point, but I, I leave it to you. I know you're a sharp crowd. And you get it. Praise the Lord. So now adults want to praise God without appearing thrilled, dependent, or desperate. We want to be cool about it when we praise God. We want to look good praising God. We don't want to look desperate. You understand? But do you ever notice that children get spastic? They're just like, wow! And they're, can you imagine adults acting like that? No adult, no adult would want to act like that. So we, don't, we want to praise God, but we don't want to appear to be thrilled. Children, however, on the, on the other hand, they don't care how they look. They just want to jump into dad's lap, and they just go running, climb up, fall into his lap. So let me just say this to you. The process of praise is your opportunity to ascend into childlikeness before the Father. If praise has a, a purpose, and it does, that purpose is to build a home where the Father will come and meet with you. And I guess I'm probably suggesting this morning that Father God loves you and says, I'll never leave or forsake you. However, whether or not His presence with all of the attributes of His power and glory in manifestation are going to come and be at your disposal and to be there with you, that's another thing altogether. And God is saying, if there is a home for my praise, I mean, for, for you and I to meet, then praise is going to have to create it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, praising God without wanting to appear that uh, you're in love or overjoyed with Him will put you at risk of missing those blessings. If you want to praise God without seeming too desperate about it, then you're probably not going to receive His presence because it's not the praise that stills the avenger. You're praising God. You'd like to see the enemy stopped in his advance against your life, but until you praise God because He's worthy with a whole heart, you're really not praising. You're just singing praises rather than truly praising Him. You see, God's blessings are gifts to His children. In other words, the blessings of God are the gifts of a father to his children, not the provisions of a grocer to his customers. And so when we praise God as though He's a grocer and we're coming for the groceries, we're not engaging the heart of the Father who wants to give freely to His children. So when we praise, we have to become like children. That's what praise is all about. You know, if you get a, let me just pause for a moment and say, if you get a wad of paper towels, if I can throw it in the bottom of that bucket, it won't be half as loud when it uh, hits like that. I don't know, just a little word of wisdom that just hit me all of a sudden like that. Isn't that amazing the way that works? Praise God. Um, how many of you know who Michael or Michael or Michael, I'm going to call her Michael, the first wife of David. Anyone know about Michael, the first wife of David? Anyone know where she came from? 
Yeah, daughter of Saul, that's right. Uh, David impressed Saul, and Saul said, wow, here, have my daughter. And so uh, she was David's first wife. But I think that Michael never really stopped becoming Saul's daughter because the Bible says that when David took the ark up to the top of Mount Zion and set up David's ta the tabernacle of David and there was great rejoicing and everything, the Bible says he had on just his uh, linen ephod, his priest ephod, which was pretty loose. In other words, he's out there kind of in his shorts and his t-shirt, if you will, and the Bible says he was twirling and leaping and dancing like a madman. He was dancing like a little child before the ark. So the ark's going up and the priests and everything, and they're all singing. And there's the king right out in front, and he's just dancing harder than anybody, shouting, praising God the whole way up the hill. So his wife, Michael, is up in the window watching this, and she's embarrassed. She's humiliated. She's like... I can't believe my husband, the king, is out there behaving like that. So it's bothering her. It's unnerving her. And she's, quite frankly, probably thinking this is totally inappropriate behavior, not just inappropriate behavior for the king, but this is not an appropriate way to praise God. So when he's all done celebrating with the people of God, he goes home and he's walks through the door, and he's like, oh, this was awesome, and he flops down in the chair. He says, man, did you see it, how God was moving and how we were praising him? And his wife's sitting there going, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I saw it all right. Let me tell you what I saw. I saw the king of Israel making a fool out of himself, and she chewed him out. The Bible says, that she was smitten with barrenness from that moment on, and she was barren for the rest of her life. Let me tell you something. There's one thing that I know will get you in trouble spiritually, just about as quick as anything else, and that is to rail against, reject, deny. I mean, you, you know, everyone's got their styles. Fine, you got your style. Whatever that is, that's fine. But to literally become a, a, a critic of childlike praise is a dangerous thing to do spiritually. Um, because that is the very strategy God has ordained to bring the enemy to naught. And, uh, and you could stand a little of it. It wouldn't hurt you to get your linen ephod out and to go dancing before the Lord a little bit every once in a while. You know, so just, uh, just a word to the wise. So the, the process of the ascent of praise going up that hill, imagine all the thousands of people. Now, they're not all mentally and emotionally in the same place. Some of them are like the Cunes. You know, he'll be coming around the mountain. When he comes, they run out of all the regular songs and then they're just making stuff up. But they're all excited about the Lord. There's other people going up Zion to, to worship, and they're singing, but it's obligatory. Their heart is not there. Their heart and their mind is like, I don't want to, this is childish. I don't like this. There's a difference between being childlike and childish. God doesn't see it as childish, but who sees it as childish? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. They said, they said, to Jesus, rebuke them, make them stop. Do you, how, 
inappropriate that is. Michael, who was barren, she, she disapproves of it. Are you really going to let the spirit that disapproves of praise and of worship that God is asking for from you keep you from praising him? I mean, if you really think about the spiritual warfare, that is spiritual warfare. The struggle to keep God's people from fulfilling their destiny and praising him like children. And becoming that victorious triumph over the enemy that God has called us to be. Instead, we're concerned about appearing sophisticated. For who? Who are we concerned about? A bunch of dried up legalists who wouldn't know God if he fell on them like a building. People who can't stand the presence of God. They're shriveled up on the inside with bitterness. You want to impress people like that? You want to have their respect? You want them to condone you? You want them to say, oh, what a you know, spiritual Christian he is, you know? The approval from people like that is not only meaningless, it's probably a negative in your life. If, you know, if, if those are the people that are approving of you, maybe you ought to go reconsider what your walk with the Lord is all about. Ooh, I really like her. She's a cool Christian. You know, that might be a, that may be a symptom of something wrong in your life. Okay, so you get the idea. The ascent up the mountain, you've got different people. Some are becoming more childlike as they go. Others are just as like, can we get this over with? I wish could someone install a cable car. We can just get to the top. Um, the ascent of praise separates those who are coming to the Father because they love Him from those who are coming to a provider that they want something from. And let me say this, if, you, if you're a note taker and you're taking notes, you'll want to take this one. Praise, true praise, childlike praise, is a joy for those who love God as their father. But it's a chore to those for whom he is only a provider. If you are praising God just because of what you need and how to get stuff from him, you never leave the valley. You're, you're going up that ascent and it's a drag. It's a chore. You wish it were over with. Could we just get through it and get to the word? You understand what I'm saying? You get the point. All right. I want you to think of the idea that, that God demands that we worship and praise him as children. And that process needs to be thorough until it's holy, until we are really in his presence and we really have praised our souls out before God. Why is that important? It's important because, and, and by extension, think this. Think of God withholding his, the power of his presence until we are at that place. God will not manifest his power will not until we have reached childlike praise status. That doesn't mean you have to go screaming and rolling around on the floor and whooping it up. That's, that's you know, again, we're, we're not getting stuck in forms of expression. We're getting, we're, we're going to the heart of, of being abandoned to God and, and having that childlike heart. But the point is, as you think about it, and why God would hold back his presence until we have truly praised him 
like the praise that is in the mouth of the babes in Psalm 8. Then consider this as an answer. Think of how destructive we, God's people, think of how destructive Christians would become if God allowed us to access the power of His presence with distracted minds and ulterior motives. If we could get the power of God's presence moving in our life with half-hearted effort, with our minds half on the world and half on God, with our hearts not really in forgiveness towards everyone that's done something against us. We're coming to God, we're praising Him, but we haven't really forgiven everyone. We're still half caught up in the world. We're still licking our wounds. We're still complaining, griping, grumbling in a negative attitude until we are completely 100% released from all of that captivity and abandoned to God and full of excitement and appreciation for the Lord, hallelujah, His presence does not show up. That's when the power of His presence comes. If God were to give you access to the power of His presence with you in any state less than that, you would become destructive. You would use that favor. You would misuse that power. And I think the worst thing of all is that the power of God's presence would serve as an endorsement to you of your half-heartedness. This is the very reason why once Adam took of that forbidden fruit, God very quickly said, drive them out before they eat of the tree of life and live forever in this state. That's exactly why God drove them out, was he did not want Adam and Eve to access the power of eternal life and be eternally cemented in compromise and in sin. He wanted to en engage his plan to bring us back, to free our hearts so that we would come willfully back to him and provide a way, a sacrifice for us. Hallelujah. And create a way for us to praise him. Hallelujah. Let me share just a couple of other thoughts as I bring this uh, to a close. This is close number one. You know in John's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus said, But a time is coming, and it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now notice that's a small s. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's your spirit. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to be His worshipers. So when the Bible says that, that God is seeking worshipers, people to be His worshipers who worship in, with their whole spirit and in truth, what I want you to see out of that this morning is that Father God doesn't seek worship. He's got angels. He's not, try, he's not sitting there saying, it's dull, I need some music. I want to hear some good things about myself. God is not seeking worship. He's seeking worshipers. So when we come and we fling songs and words at God, but not our heart, it's not worship, and God's not interested in it, and He's not going to respond to it. In fact, God said to Isaiah, these people come near me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Lord does not seek praise. He seeks praisers. 
So when we come and praise and when we come and worship, are we giving ourselves? Are we saying, I give a praiser to you? I give a worshiper to you? Or are we thinking God's, God is like us? God is like people. He likes to hear songs. He likes to hear his name mentioned. He likes to hear good things about himself. He is enamored with himself. He likes, um, he's a little egocentric and he, he likes to hear us talk him up. God's not looking for praise. He's not looking for worship and he doesn't need it. But he's looking for praisers and worshipers. When you praise and when you worship, are you giving yourself to him as his child or are you just giving him words and songs? See, Father God is not seeking songs that state the truth, but worshipers who are true. That's why it says the true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. Not that they're singing Bible verses and they have the Holy Spirit, but that they themselves are true, that they are genuine, that they are integrated, that they are sincere, that they are truly giving their heart to him. Amen? Amen. So when Jesus said true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, he is talking about us becoming childlike, out of the mouths of babes. So here is our altar call this morning, our thought around which we are going to respond before the Lord today. Here's why God ordained praise out of the mouths of babes, to still the enemy. In other words, to bring him to an end, to make him cease, to create a home then pervious that he cannot enter into, to disengage all of the enemy's activities from your life. He's ordained praise in the mouths of babes. You see, Satan hates the fact that God created you for his praise. In fact, you are a praise to God. Did you know that? Your very creation is a praise and a glory to God. The Bible says it like this. You were made in his image and likeness. The devil has hated you from the beginning. He is jealous over you and despises you. His ego-ridden personality hates the fact that you were created with a higher position and a higher purpose than he has. And so because of that, the enemy is jealous with contempt for you, and he's jealous over you. But the Bible says in 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. And so we are. And so that's what the devil sees, that we were created to be the sons of God, and that's why he hates us. So all of the accusations of the devil can all be summed up into this one claim. The devil's big claim that he does everything he does is to make this claim, and that is that God is a failure. God could create you, but he can't keep you. That's why he's constantly condemning you. That's why he's constantly trying to keep you from praising him because he wants to prove that you can't fulfill what you were created for. God wants to prove that you're not worthy of his love. God wants to prove that, uh, yep, God could create man, but sin won him. He'll live for sin, but he won't live for God. 
And so he makes the claim that God's a failure because he knows that if we don't love God, that God has failed. But the Bible says not that we love God, but that he first loved us. Jesus came with the perfect love of the Father and installed that love in you and I. And the net result is that he's made us qualified to praise him. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, there it is. There's that childlike praise inside each and every one of us waiting for you and I to allow it to express itself. Will you allow the Abba, Father of the Holy Spirit to express praise through you and make you like one of those children? The devil is hedging and working against you that you won't do that. That's his accusation. You won't live for the praise of God. You won't praise God. And so the devil constantly seeks to stifle your praise in order to assuage his own jealousy and to prove that he's right and God's wrong. But God says in Galatians 4, 6, and because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. So when you and I praise the Lord, when we lift up our voice and we give God praise and begin to ascend that hill of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is in you. Not like those Old Testament people who didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. We do have the Spirit of Jesus in us. The Spirit of Sonship is in us. That perfect praise is in you. All you have to do is to cooperate. And to begin to give yourself to praising God and let the Holy Spirit take over. Let, the, let God rise up and the Lord will lift you up. You don't have to walk away from this message this morning and say, boy, I've really got a lot. It's just not in my personality to be childlike. I'm just such an adult. Um, if, if you try to open this flower yourself, you're going to mangle it. God opens flowers from the inside. So he sent the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's why we let the Holy Spirit bubble up. As you begin to praise and worship God, go with it. Get up on the board. Surf that wave. Hallelujah. Let God arise and let praise take over in your life. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning. I hope today that you got a better picture.